All right, let's get things simply stated. This is the fifth in a series of antitheses. You heard it in the past, but I say this is the structure Jesus uses in his teaching about how he is fulfilling the law. So, uh, what does the law say? Well, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We can find this in several places in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 24, Exodus chapter 21, and in Deuteronomy chapter 19, if you're looking. Now, uh, it's important to note, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is pitiless and it's harsh, but it's not unfair and it's not really barbaric. Uh, it's just tough. Now, the point of this law that Jesus is, is uh, fulfilling is meant to limit retaliation. Maybe hard for us to think about this, but uh, you can. You, the law says you may not take a life for an eye or a tooth, and that, that's contrary to some uh, one character we can find in the Bible, a guy named Lamech, who was basically a monster. Um, he was injured by a young man, and he killed him. No, that's 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 not acceptable. This this is a law to limit retaliation. The law also requires justice. Anyone who strikes someone else and blinds them must be punished. You can see the issue of justice clearly uh, in the Old Testament in that a slave owner is not allowed to blind a slave. Also, there's to be one, the same law for both aliens, people from a foreign country, and for the citizens of the land. Now, it's a harsh law. Um, maybe even brutal, but it's not unfair. Also, we should note that the punishment must fit the crime. It is not just to mutilate someone by cutting cutting off a hand for stealing some bread. No. Uh, And and we can compare this uh, to a culture of personal revenge and personal vendetta. Maybe you can think of the movie The Godfather, if you've seen that movie. Uh, or you can think of the old uh, uh, idea of the rivalries and, and family uh, shootouts in Kentucky. Oh, the name of the those families is escaping me. It'll come to me later. Or we could think of honor killings that take place in some parts of the world where uh, a woman who offends the family honor is killed by the family. That, uh, that's just uh, that, I would argue is not just brutal, uh, but is barbaric. might get in trouble for that one, but I'm willing to stick by the idea of being against honor killings. Um, what also say about this ancient law, the one Jesus is fulfilling? Uh, Chrysostom, who was a church father, pointed out that it would be cruel not to have a command for society to punish a destructively violent person. One form of cruelty is to not confront evil. And so, uh, if we don't confront people that are destructively violent, uh, it's a big problem. Still, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as it points it out correctly, this law leaves everybody toothless and blind. The law is harsh. It is pitiless, even if it's not unfair. And it's not mere rule by force. Uh, it's not, perhaps, the way we want to live either. And it's not the way Jesus fulfills the law. So we kind of have this rough floor, this rough foundation that Jesus builds upon in fulfilling the law. Do not resist the evildoer. 
Well, let, let me just start with the word resist. To put it bluntly, resist is a, it's a poor translation. Um, it's one of the few places, I would say, that our modern translation, translations are, are problematic. Repay is the better way to understand what Jesus is talking about. Um, the, a better word here is repay. Uh, some people say it means don't violently resist, uh, but that which means we should oppose evil, but not with physical violence. Um, this teaching does so it doesn't excuse or prohibit opposition to evil in the world. Um, in this, you know, it, it, it clearly says, "Do not resist the evil." Is that uh, the devil? I don't, I don't think that is what it is. The evil one, no. The evildoer, maybe, but I think it's more likely that Jesus is telling us, do not repay an evil act. Don't pay back the bad action. Don't return evil for evil. That's what the Apostle Peter writes in his first letter. Um, Don't repay evil actions. And then Jesus is going to give us a series of illustrations, four illustrations, um, four examples. Now, here's an enormously important point that is caught in the grammar, and I'm not going to inflict a Greek grammar lesson on you, uh, for goodness sake, but here's what you need to know. Jesus is not talking about behavior in general. The way Jesus uh, puts his sentence together it is clear Jesus is talking to you about your behavior. So when you listen to this, he is talking to you. He's also talking to me, but I've got to take care of me and how I respond to evil behavior. This is not an abstraction. Uh, Jesus is talking to us and about how we're going to behave. So we have these four provocative, realistic examples to help us consider how to apply Jesus' teaching. When, when we are treated with contempt or coercion or manipulation. So remember, these aren't rules to replace the old law. He's fulfilling it. So what are the examples? Um, the first one is an example of contempt. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. First of all, this seems to be a slap more than a punch. Now, of course, people shouldn't hit people. That's not great. It's bad. Uh, but it is important to know that this does seem to be an issue of contempt rather than, say, uh, catastrophic physical assault. And um, to strike someone on the right cheek, uh, probably to give them the back of their hand. It's an act of contempt rather than physical assault. Uh, this is not, you know, somebody picks up a stick and beats the tar out of you. It does make me wonder, though, how often were people in Jesus' audience smacked in the face, right? I mean, that, uh, I, I honestly, I can't remember the last time somebody smacked me in the face. Uh, uh, and uh, so, I, I don't even know, that's just a little strange to think about, but maybe it was a more rough and tumble world, I'm not sure. What does he say to do? Offer the other cheek. And this is really important. Uh uh, it seems to be a, a way to stand and confront the person who is offering contempt. It isn't running away. It isn't hitting them back. But it is a way to stand and confront them. 
because they're offering us contempt. So that's the first example. deals with contempt. The next two deal with coercion. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat and give, give your cloak as well. Uh, detail of ancient world, most people wore two garments. The cloak was um, a large outer garment. Uh, and the and I might get this mixed up. Uh, no, the cloak coat was the large outer garment. And the coat uh, was underneath. Anyway, they had two garments. And it's important to note the cloak was what ordinary people common people slept in to stay warm. So it's not just a coat, but it's really, it's like their blanket. Um, They need it to stay warm at night. In fact, it was against the Old Testament law, is against the Old Testament law, uh, to keep someone's cloak as collateral for a loan overnight. First, we've got to think, what kind of puny loan would it be and would you need if someone's going to take your cloak as collateral? Um, on the other hand, I've been to magistrate's court and seen where people have put up a VCR and a fishing rod for a, a little bit of a loan, so maybe it's not so far-fetched uh, or far from our experience. And the key thing there, the second point is that they would use that outer cloak uh, to keep warm at night, maybe to keep their children warm. So it's a very shabby business to begin using legal pressure in a conflict to take someone's warmth at night. That is a shabby, shabby way to behave. And uh, so it clearly is a case of using the law as a coercion for somebody who's already in a a tough situation. Offering the coat, that undergarment, is literally taking the shirt off someone's back. This is a way to confront the person, to give them the cloak as well, um, is a way to confront them. That. That seems to be what Jesus is doing, to press the matter back in their face. If you're so dirt poor that you took a loan on the one thing that keeps you warm at night, uh, how do you stand against that kind of coercion? Jesus goes on to look at coercion. He says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Which gives us the phrase in English, you know, going the second mile. Here's the deal. Back in Jesus' day, a Roman soldier could require someone to carry that soldier's armor for one mile. Uh, And I think they could use force to extract the labor. It wasn't an optional deal. Now, this demand to carry a Roman soldier's armor was adamantly despised by the Jewish people and probably the other parts of the empire, I imagine, as well. It reminded them personally that their nature their nation had been conquered now think about how aggravating it would be to have a soldier come up to you on the roll road and simply hand you their armor and say come with me i mean maybe you were in the hurry or maybe you were headed somewhere else but then you had to stop whatever it was you you were doing and you had to carry this armor it's pretty heavy And then you had to walk the mile back to where you were before. Um, All for a soldier of an army who's conquered the nation that you're a part of and conquered the land that you believe God had given to you. Maybe we could compare it to the requirement to house British soldiers that infuriated our forefathers in colonial America. Uh, If you remember your history... American colonists had to actually house the soldiers sent over to tamp down any rebellion. 
Or we can think of uh, enslaved Africans who were required to take on new names once they had been captured uh, and taken to the Americas. Uh, both of these things remind people of their subjugation, the, the use of force to coerce them. Uh, Jesus recommends, probably too weak a word, anyway, confronting this coercion by finding a shocking occasion of freedom. Choose to continue service. The first mile is coerced, but the second mile is an independent act and an independent act of service. So that's our our two examples of coercion, the cloak and coat, and then going the extra mile. Then we get to the fourth example. Here we're dealing with manipulation. And I think this is one that maybe we could, maybe we encounter more often. Manipulation, that is. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Um, Now, St. Augustine points out that we give and we lend. But that doesn't mean we must give or lend exactly what they ask to have or to borrow. Just because someone comes up to me and says, I want to give, I'd like to ask you to give me all the equity in your home. Uh, No, I'm not going to do that. But uh, let's talk about what is reasonable for me to give you. Um, By the way, I don't think that this example is meant to address commercial lending with normal collateral and terms. This is personal. This is more the loan or the gift requested by somebody you know. know, The old joke of an in-law asking for money. Again, the situation is mundane manipulation for money or maybe for something else. And the question to ask yourself, how will you be generous in the face of someone who is relying on the relationship they have with you just to benefit themselves? How are, they, how are you going to respond to someone who uses your friendship or your marriage relationship simply to help themselves? So we have these this uh, uh, completion of the law by Jesus and these four provocative examples once again. Jesus isn't giving us a law. So, what can we learn from these? What does, what does this tell us about who Jesus is? Well, he certainly knows how people behave and how they misbehave toward each other. Um, though the, the, the details may be different in our own time, the trouble of contempt, of manipulation, of coercion, those are still alive today, that's for sure. So how will we, will we respond? What does Jesus want? He wants us to actively engage with evil actions in the world, but not to pay those evil actions back. Well, well, that's very much like Jesus' own incarnation. The Son of God became human to engage with our need for salvation. So it, his teaching, Jesus' teaching, is an illustration of who he is, an engagement of the world. Important to know that Jesus lived and he died by this principle. He engaged Jewish and pagan authorities. And in his capture and trial, Jesus could have talked his way out of things. He could have backed up, backed off, not provoked. But he chose to face and to confront those before him. 
at the very least by not giving them what they want or expected just because they were powerful. That's what we see about the person of Jesus. And I have to say, uh, that's a mighty admirable trait to be able to face unjust consequences, but to keep his integrity. Um, what are the theological ideas we draw from the teaching? Um, well, we're going to need to remember grace, the grace of the Beatitudes if we're going to actually live with the grace, with grace enough to face contempt, coercion, and manipulation. We're not going to do that on our own. So Jesus is taking us into circumstances, circumstances that are hard. Uh, and we're going to need God's grace, which he t- announces at the front of his sermon. Um, but what's the basis for, what's, what's the rock bottom? Maybe I should say the pinnacle, since we were talking about building up the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching. I have to say this is ethics. What are the steps that we can take? How can we apply this in our life? Contempt, coercion, and manipulation, they're very common in human life. So we need to know how to stand and confront them in a Christian way. And they might be smaller incidences of these problems. You know, a teenager who rolls their eyes at a parent's in contempt. Uh, or a coworker who uh, is is just uh, exceeding the bounds of reasonable expectations and requests for help. Come on, can't you help me out? Uh, and it, it's worth knowing that psychologists and counselors say you know, these things are poisonous in relationships. Contempt, in particular, is enormously toxic in relationships, and it's one of the traps uh, married couples can fall into if they have contempt for one another. Uh, that's a very dangerous brew. So Jesus is uh, dealing with things that matter here. What ways can you th- think of? Can you think of contemporary examples of how you experience, how you witness, maybe how you yourself act out contempt, or coercion, or manipulation? Remember, Jesus is talking to you, whether I'm listening to him. Or you're listening to him, and he's certainly not talking about them. So we've got to ask ourselves, oh, where do we see contempt, coercion, and manipulation? Where do we face it? Where do we do it? Um, is there a way to stand before those forces but retain our humanity? That's, that's turning the other cheek. I really encourage you to think about a situation where you're facing one of those three problems, contempt, coercion, or manipulation. Is there a way for you to stand in your own humanity before them. Second, is there a way to retain freedom in the face of that coercion, the the cloak, the extra mile, to say, okay, this person is extracting something from me and I, I cannot get out of it. Where is the freedom for you to act in that? Maybe you can't, maybe you can't back out, uh, move backwards in freedom. Can you move forwards, make the decision uh, to move forwards and that be where your liberation and freedom is in the face of coercion. Is there a way to simply point out manipulation for what it is if someone is manipulating you or relying on a relationship in a way that is not right and unfair just to reflect back to them? Okay, you want to borrow something from me. Is that right? Even though you've, you know, you've borrowed things in the past and haven't paid them back, but you say you're going to borrow this from me. Is that what you're asking? Um, is there a way in the, think of the manipulation that maybe you're facing. Is there a way to point that out without, uh, 
without seeking revenge, without attacking the person. They may go bananas because uh, people do. But is there a way for you to point out the, the manipulation for what it is? Well, friends, thanks for listening in. I am very grateful for your attention and hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, I do, of course, want to invite you to send me questions, your ideas. Uh, am I nuts in this? Uh, you tell me your thoughts. Boy, I would love uh, for you to uh, send me an email, give me a call, uh, send a carrier pigeon, whatever it is. would love to hear from you. Thank you so much, and God bless you all.